Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Fall is a season of gathering that brings us together with warmth and color. So whether it's a birthday, anniversary, or a special event, celebrate your friends and family with a gorgeous bouquet of roses from 1-800-Flowers.com. 1-800-Flowers makes it easy to brighten someone's day with 24 multicolored roses for just $39.99. To get 24 multicolored roses for just $39.99, visit 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Hey, this is Linda Cohn from ESPN, and you're listening to the ML Sports Platter. The ML Sports Platter back with you, brought to you by Axe Exotic Pets, Liverpool Physical Therapy, and Bryant and Stratton College. Log on to bryantstratton.edu. Classes start soon. Two great locations in and around Central New York, Liverpool and James Street. They just got a new nursing program. A lot of options. Great time to be a Bobcat. Bryant and Stratton College, the official college of the ML Sports Platter. Hit me on Twitter, at Mike L Sports. And of course, we are all part of the Brawl Network, and you can get me on Instagram as well, Mike L Sports 1979. And uh, it's Apple, it's Google, it's, uh, it's Spotify, Deezer, Stitcher, wherever you get your pods. Download, subscribe, and make sure to hit that five-star review, uh, five-star button and, 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 the, and the review button as well. Post a review. That stuff helps an awful awful lot. Well, I am super excited to talk to our next guest on the platform. He's a friend of mine. Uh, He's been in the golf world for a long time, currently playing on the Champions Tour. He's won seven times on the PGA Tour, and he has nine total professional wins. Uh, An Ohio State Buckeye, a huge Syracuse basketball fan, and as far as major championships, he's got a top six in the U.S. Open in 92 and a top 10 in the PGA in 1997, it's my good buddy Joey Sindelar, the Horseheads New York native. Joey, great to have you back, bud. Mike, always a pleasure to visit with you. Thanks for inviting me aboard. So let's get my listeners a little caught up with, with you. What's the latest and greatest? Where have you been playing? What's next? Uh, so uh, uh, one minute or less, uh, last winter I had a hard time starting up back problems. Got one of those nerve burns in my back in like March where they stick the needle in and they kind of burn the edge of the, and it actually worked. Uh, but then with COVID, we didn't have much of a season sure. till probably August, but I was ready by then. It was a miracle for me. Played the last 10 last year. Uh, then time off COVID got COVID mixed up our schedule at the beginning of this year. I'm, I'm this is pretty trite stuff. I'm glossing over a lot of, uh, pain and suffering for a lot of people but as it applies to us on the tour uh, you know our schedules got messed up and uh so we only had tucson gosh i'm gonna say four or five weeks ago and to me you know me you know i'm a homebody and i'd rather be watching syracuse play something or the mets or whatever and uh you know it would have taken me three or four weeks to start up for tucson and then have five weeks off so i elected not to do that uh i've now ramped up i'm at about maybe 80 percent uh we start i start next week in houston there's three in a row uh, my eligibility will now be uh, I, I know two problems uh one whether the back injury uh lays down and two my eligibility i'm basically out there on career money and as these young kids just like just like it's senseless that i have more career money than arnold palmer uh the um, you know, because, you know, 
how much sense can you make out of that? The young kids who also played for way more money, the ones turning 50 now who played for way more money than I played for and the guys in my group were being replaced. And I'm watching myself slide down that ladder. So I've got a little bit of an eligibility issue, but I should play 18 or 20 times this year, I hope. So what's in your bag? What's what's the driver? What are the irons? You know, give, give me the Joey Sindelar club. You know, give, give me the club uh, the club group here. Your, what, what's your bag look like? Well, thank you. So, uh, you know, I'm, I, I have had some pretty awesome relationships through the years with club companies, TaylorMade, Tommy Armour. But, you know, once you get to the Champions Tour, unless you're one of the first three or four guys – you know, it isn't a money thing anymore, and it's very interesting to watch what players play when they're not getting paid. In other words, what do they think is just the best equipment? And sometimes that varies a lot. Sometimes it doesn't. So for me, I've got a very new driver, which is about a six-year-old Callaway something <laughs> before the Maverick. I don't even know the name of it. My, my boys will kill me for not knowing the names of these things. I have the matching three woods. So just a, a nice modern-ish driver three wood from Callaway. I use the Titleist AP2 716. So those irons are now five or six years old. Uh, I've got a couple of, I mix my sand wedges between Callaway sand wedges, which are now Roger Cleveland. You know, Roger Cleveland, of course, was Cleveland of Cleveland Golf, but he's now with Callaway. Yep. So he makes beautiful, beautiful wedges. And so I use some Callaway wedges. And then also some Cleveland wedges, which are owned by Srixon. So, uh, so I'm just putting stuff in the bag. Oh, and I've got a, what do you call that thing to Odyssey putter? The big mallet uh, looking one that just lays on the ground so beautifully. And, uh, you know, if we ever wanted to do just a whole podcast on club selection, it would be a riot because what matters is not what most people think matters. And uh, it's a, and it, t- it takes a long, even for tour players, it takes a long time to really understand why you should be choosing certain kinds of equipment for whoever you are. And that, you know, I don't match Scotty McCarron and he doesn't match Bernard Langer, et cetera. So it's a, it's a fun story to talk about equipment. Is Bryson DeChambeau, speaking of equipment, speaking of other crazy things going on, the analytics, the, the overall technology, I guess, um, is he good for golf? Oh my gosh, sure. I yeah, think I so mean, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, holy cow. I mean, talk about change the game. Not change the game in terms of beating everybody like Tiger might have or Nicholas did or, or whoever, uh, daily in his own way. Uh, but changed it from far really can work and you really almost don't need to look like we all thought a golfer needed to look like, you know, that that the long drive components can kind of sneak their way into tour golf as long as you can, you know, because the, the driver, you know, you don't need to be quite as exact with a driver because it's up on a tee. So you can use all those power components, but you know, sooner or later you got to hit a five iron out of a thin lie. And, yeah. and when the ball is laying very tight to the ground, you must know where the bottom of your swing is. So you can place it just ahead of the golf ball. So he's just, it's stunning and it's funny i think you know i don't watch a lot of golf again i'm i I watch a lot of syracuse stuff but i don't watch a lot of golf but i think i heard him say that or actually i heard mcelroy say that he tried and and he feels like he's in a bit of a funk because he tried to do the big power grab and and, you know who can blame these guys you know they're all trying to get better most of them and uh it's just yeah so what an introduction to power from 
Bryson. And then the fact that the irons are the same length, that's an interesting equation. They're, they're chasing him for the power ideas. That's pretty cool. But I don't know, and Mike, you would know better than I would, is anybody else using irons the same length like he does, or is he still the only one? I watching? don't think so. I think he's the, he's the only, because he's messing with all that tech, not, you know, with all the clubs and you know, it's, it's not just the distance, you know, because he looks at the analytic part of it, too, and the analytic part goes into the equipment and how long clubs are. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a junkie, man, with this stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it's just, you know, if it, you know, it, he may be, you know, again, the power thing's not going to go away. The idea of, you know, should the instrument be the same size? Sure. Does that make it more repetitive? That's a really interesting conversation. And I think the proof will be, do guys copy you? You know, because if, if it's the better way, you know, there's going to be some juniors right now copying that, and they're going to weed their way out there in five or ten years, and we'll see more of it. Yeah, he rubs people the wrong way sometimes with his comments. I mean, obviously calling, you know, Augusta like a par 67, which was absurd, and, and some different things like that. But the reality is... We know that sports are just fine with a villain. They're fine with a guy who rubs people the wrong way. Even Patrick Reed did it for a little ways, not quite to the Bryson DeChambeau level. Here's the bottom line, Joe. You know how this is. As we get closer and closer, and we may be closer than we've ever been because Tiger's accident, which we'll get into in a minute, um, you know, we're probably closer now than ever before of, of, of the of the post-Tiger Woods golf world. And even though majors will always sell out, and even though people are playing golf like crazy, come on, man. You know, I know, everybody knows what Tiger did for the game of golf and the impact and why it is how it is now and the purses and the sponsorships and the, the all of it, the, the, the global appeal. You know what? Golf maybe needs a couple of these little jolts as we get into the post-Tiger world. Well, the personalities are always interesting and fun. And, and anything, I don't know either of these guys in person, Patrick or Bryson. Uh, I, I do know Tiger, and, you know, like from Tiger backwards, I know that group. And, yeah, I mean, the personalities, of there, there's always been bad guys. And, you know, Sebi was always known for the gamesmanship and the jingling, the change in the pocket. And uh, there's all kinds of examples of, you know, angry people on the golf course or people that say stuff. But, yeah, so there's, there's room for everybody, I think. And, uh, yeah, but you're right, post-Tiger post -Tiger could be upon us. Joey Sindelar, our guest on the ML Sports Platter, brought to you by Stanley Law Offices and Barks and Rec Doggy Daycare. Speaking of Tiger, uh, when you found out about the accident, you know what are you what are you feeling emotionally, and 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 have you talked to him since? No, and I'm not. Although I know him, I'm not a call him on the phone guy. Okay. Uh, you know, I and I you know I would certainly at a time like that I I'd shy away. I did not. I was not in touch. Uh, you know, he's, he's, the times I got to play golf with him, you know, I, I thought the world of him, he's one of the easiest people to be paired with in a tournament. It's all the peripheral stuff that's very noisy and difficult, uh, you know, the stuff that's aimed at him during the round. But as a person to play golf with, I, I enjoy him. And my friend from here in Horseheads, Mike Hulbert, was co-captain of a number of Ryder Cup teams and knows Tiger very, very well. But beyond that saw him in the heat of the battle and what he was like with the other guys on the team and just you know all those guys thought the world think the world of him i mean so he's a good guy and it's lousy stuff and it's light i mean you know in the end we're all just people doing yeah. human stuff and yeah. and uh i guess he was going a little too fast and 
So I don't I don't actually even know the extent. What is the latest prognosis? I haven't heard any. I mean, you know, I've listened to a million shows and read up on stuff. It's just a you know, it's just he's recovering. I mean, that's all that that's yeah. all that people say. And um, I'll tell you this: there's a lot of people who are writing him off again. He, he's going to give it another go, Joey. Oh no doubt he'll he'll. I mean, unless. I mean, unless I don't even know. I unless mean, like a leg knee. is just too much to, yeah, it's just too, too, too much to bear. Right. If it's the right knee, maybe you can, you know, if it's a knee and it's sure. the right knee, yeah. maybe okay. If it's the left knee, oh my gosh, what are you going to do? Yep. And, yep. But uh, no, I, but uh, if there's going to be a monster effort given, it will be by him. Do you think, I know it's hard to go back in time and say, you know, hey, if, if, you know, Michael Jordan, if his dad doesn't get murdered, what happens with Jordan? You know, does he retire? Does he stay with it a few more years and then go off fully to baseball? Does he, I mean, you know, does, does he still try baseball and then never come back to basketball? Uh, Tiger Woods with the childhood, he, it, he was so under, obviously, the thumb of his father and Earl. And I know that his mother was a tough cookie too, but a lot of it was Earl and a lot of it was his his terrible behavior at the golf course as well, you know, screaming at Tiger, making him into the, into the competitor that he, that, that he became. But Tiger also didn't have a childhood and didn't really have a lot of fun. And we've read that in the bio by Armin Katane and Jeff Benedict, and we've seen it in the documentary on television. How different do you think, I mean, if you had to guess, how different is Tiger Woods as we know him, just the golfer, if his childhood is a little bit, a little bit different, maybe a little bit more normal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, can't possibly know that answer. It's very funny to hear you say those words because I came from a very driven father, not in the mean sense, but very driven, very, you will, you know, we're chasing this and you'll be doing, I mean, and I would never remember learning golf in the 60s and 70s it's not what kids did then you sure. know and so i never would have wound up where i did tiger grew up you know how old is he how old is he now uh 40 God, 45 some. maybe 40. yeah so you know we're 18 years apart um he would have grown up you know in a bigger city he he may have stumbled on it on his own and who you know somehow his personality dealt with what his father gave him uh you know and, and it worked uh you know, lots of times it doesn't, that, that can blow up. So I, I can't know the answer to this. It was tough watch. You know, it's tough. It's always tough when there's a parent that that's tough. Uh, Kevin Nas, um, parents are known to be very much in that vein. Uh, I did not, Michelle, we come from a little bit of that yes, or maybe tons of it. from a management yeah. side. Yep. So, so there have been some successes, but I'm, you know, we certainly don't know the failures of parents that cracked the whip pretty hard. Uh, and and they never got there, so we don't know the story. So that's, that's a tough one. Yeah, it is a tough. It's just inter- it's, it's amazing to think about. You know, like if if Earl doesn't push him and he doesn't become the competitor, does is Tiger a really good player? But then say, yeah, you know, I don't really, I'm not really into this. I, I I got burnout because I don't I don't really care. I've won. Yeah, you hit two or you win maybe a major or two, and maybe he falls away in the history of golf or something. Maybe something else maybe happens, or maybe he gets another interest if he has a normal childhood. Maybe he finishes at Stanford. I mean, who knows? Knows, who knows yeah. what happens, but it's certainly interesting to look at. Going back, I love talking historical stuff with you, Joey, as you know. Um, what, what do you consider your best win? 
You know, Mike, I can't because and it's because there are only seven. I can tell you why. Um, uh, winning, winning the first one is always the first one, and that was Greensboro for me in '85, and it was the week before the Masters, and I was expecting to go home, so I flew home and got fresh clothes and flew back to Augusta and walked on the first tee, and there stood Jack Nicklaus. Uh, and to a young Horseheads New York person who went to Ohio State uh, to see, you know, the king of the Buckeye Kingdom standing there by himself, except for the 5,000 spectators, yeah. uh, and got my first tour of Augusta National with him. Mm. I mean, what a series of days that was. Wow. Uh, my next couple wins were the BC Open, yep. you know, local. Yep. I mean, how do you, and one of them was with my dad on carrying the golf bag. So, wow. you know, how do you do that? And then in the middle, I won... The International was the Honda, and the 85 was Honda, 87 the International, which is probably the biggest for me at the time. Then I went into a slump, but in 91 at Quad Cities, which is now the John Deere Classic, so that felt great, because, you know, when you're a golfer in a slump, you never think it's going to end. And then and then 14 years later was Wachovia, which clearly was the biggest. And my boys, it was the first, uh, my boys were born in uh, 90 and 93, and it was the first tournament they knew they watched they, they could see that i won you know they used to pick on me that my trophies i went down and bought them at the sporting goods store <laughs> and, uh, hmm. and so to win wachovia and with all of you know with tiger and phil and sergio and all of them there uh that was just a monster monster win so there those were my seven and they were all so different that it's just hard to pick a pick a favorite yeah that that wachovia that was a that was a great i remember that one like it was yesterday that was and that was awesome. That win was so terrific. It, you know, the BC Open, the second one, you were shooting some daggers, man. 65, 63, the first two rounds, you were on fire right out of the gate. Yeah, but let me tell you a little story about that. So, yes, the middle, the middle, like the middle 30 holes might have been the most under par I've ever been. I don't even know the numbers, no. but it got dumb. But, but a lot of guys have shot, you know, some reason enjoy lends itself to that. But I will tell you, if I remember correctly, I could be off by one shot. I stood on the first tee the last day, leading by six, paired with Jeff Sluman, and then I think it was a couple of shots behind him. So unless I folded the tent or something wild happened, it was me and Jeff. I will tell you, so I'm number one, there's water on the left, and I was playing safe to the middle of the green my second shot. It was only a nine-iron or a wedge. And I pulled it left directly at the pin and birdied it. So I went up seven after the first hole with 17 to play, Jeff Sluman played the most, one of the most stunning rounds of golf I've ever seen in my life. I think he hit all the par fives in two. Now, remember, we were hitting three woods at those par fives back then, but he did it. He could have shot 62. He, you know, he didn't, he didn't clean the round up very well. And I mean, by mistake, he shot like 68 or something like that. I mean, he could have, he could have won that tournament. So even though it seemed like a, like a waltz uh it was not over until i got past that last water hazard on number 18 i think you uh you mentioned the honda i i, I have it down as in, in one in 88 um yes Sorry and, yeah. yeah and uh in 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 you know the end you were you were trying to uh trying to oust some 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 guys including Payne stewart um what, what did you learn from Payne stewart Payne was incredibly fun, um, very, very gifted as uh, obviously as a golfer. I mean, he big for our day. You know, for back then, 
you know, I'm guessing six foot, six foot one, which again, that's not even big ish anymore for the modern guys. But, you know, if you think back to what they always said the model was with Nicholas, it was kind of that five ten, five eleven thing. Taller people might have a hard time timing up the golf swing and all whatever we were taught back in the seventies. And so Payne was a big, strong guy with a beautiful golf swing. Fabulous, fabulous competitor. He showed up to win. Uh he, I'm, I'll never forget that whenever anybody says Payne Stewart to me, he one day, I, you know, I was known for always being late. And I was zooming across the putting green, going to the first tee in a hurry, and he had a set of fake tees, and they were just not fake enough that you couldn't tell that if something happened to him. And he walked up to me and gave me a big smile, and it was so close to real but so horrific i didn't even know what to do and it's like hi pain kept on walking and i mean the whole putting green exploded i mean he was a practical joker and great 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 for the game of golf oh man i used to love watching him play the style i mean he had everything he had size substance yeah. style uh you know that that open where he uh edged phil in 99 was spectacular it was at pinehurst i believe right yes so, it was uh, that just amazing i used to always wonder you know because he had that nfl his clothing was had the NFL logo right. on it, but it was the knickers, and he wore the bright team colors and the Hogan cap. And we always, my caddy, John Buck, and I used to always say, you know, remember this was back in the 80s, and then we'd say, oh, not that I don't go there, now we'd say, what do you do when you go to McDonald's dressed like that after the round? You know, how, <laughs> what exactly happens there? So uh, yeah. that was our big giggle. But a great, great guy. Weekday starting at 4 on NBC4. Another school year with so much uncertainty. News 4 is working for you, dedicating important coverage to keeping kids safe at school. Helping you navigate the biggest issues facing parents, children, and teachers. And giving you expert guidance from local doctors and educators. And showing you ways to manage stress weekday afternoon starting at 4. We'll help you get through the school year safely. Weekday starting at 4 on NBC4. We're working for you. Fall is a season of gathering that brings us together with warmth and color. So whether it's a birthday, anniversary, or a special event, celebrate your friends and family with a gorgeous bouquet of roses from 1-800-Flowers.com. 1-800-Flowers makes it easy to brighten someone's day with 24 multicolored roses for just $39.99. To get 24 multicolored roses for just $39.99, visit 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Golfer Joey Sindelar with us, ML Sports Platter. A couple more on the golf side, Joey, and then we'll get right into some Syracuse basketball talk uh, with, with a topic that you'll that you'll love. Um, Good. So you've been around the game for a long, long time. I mean, you you know have a couple of amateur wins. You mentioned your seven professional uh, or a PGA nine total, I believe, and then you've got. You know, uh, a very good understanding of, of the game and the growth. You mentioned 60s, 70s, what you were taught. You go into the amateur ranks, you go into the pro ranks, and you see the explosion of golf internationally, the global impact. We mentioned Tiger. And just guys are coming from all over the place, for crying out loud. I mean, you know, Seve, Seve started a lot of it, obviously, over in Europe. You know, you got Northern Ireland. You've got you know, Padre Carrington, and then you've got Rory McIlroy, Darren Clark, all that that whole area. Uh Japan is enormous in, in golf. And I think in 85, in that greater Greensboro, you edged out Aoki in that one, right? And he was he's from Japan. Yep. What, what does Matsuyama, this is what I'm getting to, is this year he wins the, Master, Deki, uh, the Masters, Hideki Matsuyama. What, what happens now for him by winning that green jacket? What happens for golf, you know, that, that global, another global explosion, I can imagine here, especially in the Far East, right? 
Well, uh, I think it's kind of, yes, but I think it's kind of on fire already. And, you know, because remember, starting with the Ozaki's, Jumbo, Jet, and Joe, the three brothers back in the 80s, the, the oldest of them, like in Nicholas's later years, they, they're the ones that kind of originally exploded it into Aoki right around that whole time. Sure. My partner at the team championship was Tommy Nakajima. One of the most fabulous golf swings I've ever seen in my life, and what a fun guy he was. Uh, So, yes, Matsuyama, I heard somebody say it was probably a billion-dollar win. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I believe it. You know, I've been over there a lot. You are are him doing that. He is now, you know, he's not Tiger Woods. Of course, nobody is that. But whatever, draw the equivalent to every single person in Japan will know who he is, and it's... uh, stunning what he did uh, I, it is a lull right now for the japanese players at least the ones that have made it to the states but the game is is big there they they love the game of golf but i mean look at the look at what's look at the names that are happening on our tour and the women's tour have been for the southeast asian players have been in for what 15 years yeah. now and and they're awesome and they're driven and well rehearsed and uh so yeah i think i mean it's it's golf is now worldwide where Again, when I was on the tour, that was a big part, uh, just to let you know, the whole appearance fee thing, you know, back in the 80s. Our tour, the PGA Tour, it was always forbidden for any sponsor to be t- pay or be tied to appearance fees because they wanted the entire purse. They wanted all of the money to go into the purse to be played for by everybody. But because they had so few great players, uh, although that group of the, the European, you know, Langer, who was it? Langer, Faldo, Lyle, and then Norman from Australia, Ian Woosnam, that five or six that are basically my age, those were stunning golfers. But we used to, when you, whenever you want to turn, like if you won the Masters, let's say not now, because I can't even begin to tell you the numbers now, but let's say back in the 80s or even in the 90s, if you won a major, the any of them, you could pretty much take any week you wanted and go overseas and it would be i'm guessing i mean of course i never won a major but i'm gonna say a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars a week at least a hundred plus expenses plus track you know the whole the whole deal as many times as you wanted to go and so multiply you know take that from 30 years 35 years ago and bring that forward i it's stunning so he, it could easily be a billion. He seems like a very nice guy. I listened for the undertones of the conversation during the tournament, and I loved hearing that the other players like him, and I loved that a couple of them stuck around to congratulate him and looked like they felt great about doing it. You know, it's fun when, when nice people uh, win those things, and uh, and on top of that, he's really good. So we should be seeing more of him. Did you ever experience, whether whether it was years ago, just starting, uh, middle of your career, recently, burnout and say, to hell with this, like, I'm good? I mean, I can't, you're hitting thousands and thousands of balls every day. You become robotic, habitual, mechanical, whatever the word is. Did you ever experience burnout to the point where you were like, man, I don't know, I don't know about this anymore? I never got that far. I think, you know, it's it's fatiguing, and it's fatiguing in different ways because it's personality-based. You know, I they used to make fun of me on the tour. I would We had Dallas and Fort Worth next to each other back-to-back, two separate weeks for all those 25 years. 
and I would come home in between and they would laugh and go, what are you doing? We're already here. And I'd say, I got to go, you know, it's, I'm a homebody. I got to go. And now I have those very same people coming up, up to me going, man, now we know what you were doing. So (laughs) although luckily for me, I had a hand injury. I had two injuries. Why am I blanking on one? But I had a hand surgery, a broken hook of hamate, which is, you may know many of the baseball players break in the, but the pad of the left hand for a right-handed golfer. And I missed six or eight weeks, uh, maybe even a little bit more than that. At a time, you know, it, it seems to happen to, the, you know, when family starts and it's like, what are we doing? I'm not seeing the kids grow up. And they're when you leave, they're upset. Dad, where are you going? What's going on? And, you know, at least for me, that's what it looked like. And I know for many others, the story was the same. So luckily, my injury occurred at a time where it kind of slapped me in the face and said, yep, there's some hard parts to what you're doing, but look what you're, you know, look what this is. And, and, you know, if you're good enough to stay, what in the heck are you doing? And so I was able to have a nice little wake up call right when I needed it with a couple of those injuries. All right. Finally, the Syracuse basketball scene. I know you were probably going nuts again this year. They, they, you know, figured out a way to get in the tournament. A couple of big wins down the stretch. Carolina, Clemson. Stop me if you've heard this before, by the way. Couple of couple, couple of huge wins down the stretch. They get, you just get in. You see what happens. All the matchups are favorable. They win two and they're in the Sweet Sixteen. I mean, it's it's so classic Syracuse. I was arguing with a ton of Syracuse fans, and I try to stay away from making a comment because then on social media it never ends, right? So. Um, you just keep getting notifications. The conversation keeps going, and it's just it just becomes exhausting at, at, at some point. But I was trying to argue, and some of these people are my friends. I was trying to argue with these people my point in that, guys, this particular group, Joey, was complaining that Syracuse all all regular season. There's a part of the fan base. The games passed Jimmy by. The 2-3 zone, uh, it doesn't work. It's an old-style defense. The uh, offense is brutal, and it's an ISO. You can't compete in the ACC. You've been mediocre. You're on the bubble every year. And I go, hold on a minute. Does it really matter in the regular season when all those things are going on if you've made the Sweet 16 in 21 and 18 and 16 at Final Four in 2013 and 16? You've made multiple Elite Eights. Since this mediocre talk and all those things that I mentioned that people are, are complaining about, since that stuff has come to the forefront, Syracuse is successful still in March. So, what does it matter if you're finishing the way you do? Do you which way do you which way do you sit? Well, I, I know that you know the measure. The, you know the current measuring stick is the big the big dance, and and then of course the the tournament. You know the league championship before that, and then the league before that. And sure, it would be nice to have it both ways. You know, I when I watch, you know, I I try to have faith in our leader Jim um, that that he knows what he's doing. We've had a lot of moving parts, you know, the zone, you know, when I listen to him critique when he, when he really gets angry, not to me, but even in the press interviews or, or, you know, when he, when it, when the, when the steam finally bubbles over and I hear the comments about so-and-so didn't get there, then I go rewatch. It is pretty nuanced stuff that they're doing. And when players are in now for only a year or two, I'm betting it takes a lot longer to, to do what they need to do, and maybe they are just better at the end of the year. I don't know. It's been such an amoeba these last bunch of years with, you know, a couple of great players leaving way early, you know, a year or two earlier than we expected, or maybe an injury, or the blend was odd, or, you know, I I don't know the reasons, but in the end he gets them there, and 
And I, I, I don't know. It's a tough. I can understand a lot of the points of the story. Uh, and then on top of all that, this new transfer stuff, which I have a question for you. So, so to answer your question, yeah, I'd like him. I'd like him to win a league championship, and I think, I think certainly they will. I think it's just been an odd, quirky bunch ever since the. The penalties. How long ago are the penalties now? Like five or six years? Yeah, years? yeah, they're they're a ways back now. Yeah, you're right. So that kind of started this unrest, and then, you know, again, a couple. You know, uh, oh, who was the? Oh, why am I blanking? I'm, I'm over sixty now. Forgive me. The point guard from Canada that left early and made it in the NBA. Yeah, um, Tyler Ennis. Uh, Tyler Tyler Ennis, absolutely. Yeah. So nobody expected him to, you know. Um, and really, Jeremy Grant them. too. You know, he, he, he left Grant, right away, I mean, yeah. Yep. Yeah, so son of a gun. I have a question for you, Mike. Is this new uh, transfer and play right away thing, is this a going forward rule or is this a this year rule? Well, right now it's it's in place. I mean, I think they've really got to reevaluate this thing because there's 1,400, as we talk, players in the transfer portal. And, I mean, that's that's like 35 to 40% of all players in Division One, which is absurd. Uh, I know Dick Vitale's been barking up the tree to, you know, change this, and he's right. I think he's spot on. It's just, it's too many players. It's too much movement. It's, it's you know, you're, some guys are, and I'm not saying everybody's doing this, but, you know, it, there is some sort of, well, you know what, I'm not happy here for a year. Like, where's the loyalty? Where's the you know, you're giving up, you know, and I know sometimes people need change and that's fine. I don't care if you're 18 or, or 68, you need change, but there's just too many. I mean, it's just way too many. Um, and is it, Mike, is it, is it too many because it's the first year? So there are effectively well, four classes of people or, and it'll settle down as it becomes, you know, cause next year it'll be three years, you know, it'll, sooner or later it'll just be the new people that have the chance. Yeah. But it. see this type of thing. I mean, not that the transfer portal has been around for, you know, five years, let's say, but the grad transfer rule and some of these other things that have gone on have, have sort of, I think, pushed us into, you know, the NCAA and, and the approval of the transfer portal. And so now you have all of these, all of these players just being like, oh, you know, I'm going to go to the school and oh, it didn't work out for a year. I'm going to bounce to this school and I, I'm going to go get re-recruited again. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of shady stuff going on behind the scenes too with, you know, guys being told by certain coaches that, hey, you, you can come here because I know another guy's getting out of here who I don't like, who I'm forcing out or whatever. So uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of garbage going on. And, yeah, you're talking about five, six years now with that, with that um, you know, with 2015 with those sanctions. So, um, yeah. you know, that it, go, it goes back to that uh, a little bit. But I, I don't know. I mean, I – Listen, if if you wanna if you wanna go you know ninety wins, win a wild card, but but win the World Series, or you're, you know you're a you're a you're a you're an eight seed, and you finished in the middle of the pack in your conference, you get into March, you get hot on the biggest stage, and you go to a Final Four. I, I don't know. I, I think I think Syracuse fans are worrying too much about a few different things in the regular season that really just yeah, don't matter. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Just uh, I, well, I mean, look at here we are in Central New York State. We have such an awesome product. I hate to just be the the shiny glasses side of the deal, but I, I love them and I'm happy they're here. And uh, uh, it thrills me to cheer for them, football and basketball. Joey Sindelar, thanks so much. Great catching up with you, Mike. A pleasure. Always nice to always nice to hear your voice. And thanks for the great job you do. The ML Sports Platter brought to you by Stanley Law Offices, Bryant and Stratton College, and my good buddy Brian Conboy of Mass Mutual New York State. Go ahead and log on to Advisors massmutual.com. Brian, getting your financial future in place. Boy, we are super excited. 
what Brian uh, opened our eyes to in the financial future world, getting set no matter what. Retirement could be a youngster going off to college. Get your financial future in order today with Brian Conboy of Mass Mutual New York State, the official financial advisor of the ML Sports Platter on Facebook, on LinkedIn, and advisors.massmutual.com. Speaking of Syracuse basketball talk with Joey Sindelar, let's get into a little bit more of it with the beat man and insider for the Orange for the Athletic. It's my good buddy Matthew Gutierrez on Twitter at Matthew G-U-T, the number 21. And make sure you follow The Athletic as well, at The Athletic, and get your subscription, theathletic.com. It's terrific writing, amazing content throughout the country, all the markets, college pros, you name it. Get your subscription now with The Athletic, theathletic.com. And by the way, college basketball, they've got some five-star team of writers, uh, Dana O'Neill, Seth Davis, and I'm here to tell you that Matthew's one of those guys too. He's doing an unbelievable job. Matthew Gutierrez, what's up, buddy? How are you? Mike, always a blast to connect. Thanks so much for having me on. So I want to start with the Dick Vitale uh, video on on Instagram. Uh, you had sent it to me, and I watched it, and and he's just he's really irate about the transfer portal. I got to tell you, Matthew, I don't blame him. It's getting out of control. For sure. I mean, look, he, he's posted that a number of times. He's he said that in several interviews. He's certainly not alone. Some, some coaches have been outspoken. And look, I'm here to, you know, certainly advocate for, for players and what they want, right? We've been doing that for for years, and if, if it means they get to transfer um, as they will, they can. But certainly the system in place right now has been um, uh, a little – has made for something a little bit out of hand here. we got so much movement for these coaches um, and, and so much going on. And, and, and not, for, not to forget, Mike, in, in a few months – someone can enter the portal so this is not just like a spring thing and then we'll move on i mean the guys can enter the portal they can bounce around sure uh, anytime they want coaches can can recruit against each other you know basically it's against the rules but they'll recruit against each other they'll they'll know someone might not be happy and they'll start talking to a player you can know he's on another team um so it, it's just on a, a huge scale right now and and i don't know uh, what the answer is tomorrow, but it's it's there's just a lot of movement, and it'll be interesting to see long term. I don't want to jump to the conclusion that it will be, um, you know, horrible long term, but it it's, doesn't look uh, great. It's it's really going to be difficult for for teams and players to develop if they're bouncing around so much. So you had an awesome piece in the Athletic, which I just recently read on you know the rotation with Syracuse and how how it could how it could pan out. Uh, with a lot of guys, uh, you know, the four outgoing transfers, a graduation, three incoming transfers, and a freshman. Uh, so there's so much, speaking of the word movement, right? I mean, is there any program that it, that's more prototypical uh, based on what we're talking about right now off off, off the shoot here than Syracuse? Um, you've got, obviously, Joe Girard, Buddy Beheim. you know, those are kind of the guarantees here, Barama Sidibe. But then from there, depending on how things work and how good people are, you know, and guys coming in, we could have a couple different scenarios here, right, Matthew, for starters and then bench. So lay it all out. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, hats off to you again. You pronounce Syracuse names, which haven't been all that easy the last few years. You pronounce them uh, probably better than anybody else. Barama Sidibe. Merrick yeah. Dolajai. Yeah, you got you yeah. got to go. Listen, when you're a public address announcer, you got to spell it out. You got to be careful. You know, you, you get wild names, and I, you know, it's it's not if somebody's name is, uh, you know, 
a a metha, let's say, you write it out as a u h me m e, and then tha, you know t h u h, and you and then you keep saying it over and over again until you 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 know you can't forget it, right? Yeah, for sure. It's important to get these names right because there's a lot out there that that it's uh, you know the names aren't, aren't pronounced correctly, and that's 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 not fun, and it's 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 not not good to be hearing different pronunciations of the of the same person when they're a senior you know it's not like they're uh, a newcomer but anyway yeah with, with the rotation um you're, you're looking at buddy Beheim and, and joseph gerard uh returning in the backcourt probably going to be playing a ton of minutes upwards of you know 30 to 35 especially with Kadari richmond out of the mix uh then forward forward's going to be an interesting spot because quincy garrier is, is to be decided yeah. i tend to think he'll be He'll be out. He's especially what O'Shea Brissett is doing, going the undrafted route after his sophomore year. Um, isn't the end of the world. He went undrafted. He grinded, grinded in the G League, really worked on his three-point shot, which he didn't uh, improve at Syracuse, but he improved it in the pros. And here he is now signing a three-year deal with Indiana, uh, making a nice uh, you know paycheck there. So I think Quincy could could do that. But regardless, I'm gonna let's just assume he's gonna be out for for the first part of this. I would say Benny Williams, five-star freshman, comes in to start at the three. Jimmy Beheim, Cornell forward, starts at the four, and then Barama City Bay uh, will split some time with Jesse Edwards at the five if Barama is healthy and can go. Now, if Quincy's back, obviously Quincy will start at the four. Jimmy would come off the bench with Cole Swider, uh, two forwards, you know, who are not not all that athletic, but can help you offensively and are going to be probably smart players. So, with this with this roster, with this rotation, I think a couple things. One, I think they're going to score like they had the last two years. They're going to shoot the ball pretty well, especially if Buddy and Joe can can can, can play at the level uh, they're capable of. Uh, but the, the one concern is going to be the defense again. It just not not the most athletic team in the ACC. Uh, they're really going to have to be smart defensively because they don't have the speed and quickness that, that some other teams will. Obviously, a team like a Houston, for example, those are few and far between, but a team like that could really give this Syracuse team some trouble. Okay, how good is Benny Williams? It's a tough one. This is a, a really good question. Um, look, I've texted with some people, some you know former managers, player, uh, a couple high school folks down at IMG, and I've gotten some uh, wide-ranging results. We've gotten, like, comparisons to, to, you know, former Syracuse stars, and I've also gotten some concern from a couple people that, you know, he might be a nice piece, but certainly not a one-and-done or or even a two-and-done player. So I'm probably somewhere in the middle of that. I think he's going to help them right away. I think he'll be an impact player at the forward spot. Um, I think he'll be athletic. I could see him going for around, you know, eight, nine points a game as a freshman, maybe ten tops, uh, five or six boards in about, you know, 20 to 30 minutes is kind of where – my expectation is with Benny, and if, if he's going to exceed that, you know, tip your your cap to him. But uh, that's that's kind of where I'm at right now. I don't think he's going to be, you know, an absolute star right away. And I just say that be, not so much as a slight to him, but just because of how hard it is to come in as a freshman um, and, and impact the game at a high level. It's really challenging, and this is a Syracuse team that's going to have some experience. So 
he won't need to uh, be a star offensively. You know, they, they, they do have some scoring. Obviously, Buddy Behar uh, is back after a really good last few weeks of his junior season. So there are some pieces here for Benny, I think, to slowly carve out a role. He doesn't have to come in and, and be, the, be a star. Matthew Gutierrez, the Athletic Syracuse Basketball Insider Beat Man. Go get him on Twitter, at MatthewGUT, the number 21. And obviously, just uh, 35 followers away from 5,000. we got to get you to the uh, to the number. So if you're listening out there, help out Matthew and follow him. Uh, just a terrific follow. So for years and years and years, people have been trying to guess when Jim Beheim's going to retire. Right, and I've always told people it's pointless because he's just going to keep coaching until he literally physically doesn't feel like it, and he's admitted that. However, if I painted you this picture, Jim Beheim with now Buddy Beheim and Jimmy Beheim, if they were to go to a Final Four this year, you know, it's possible. We could go through 500 season mediocrity, and we'll get to that in a little bit too, by the way. All the things that we talk about, all the things that Syracuse fans complain about during the regular season. Then the the switch flips, the matchups work, the zone work, Jimmy knows March, the players get better. Offensively, something happens where guys come out of this cocoon and they perform, and all of a sudden they land in the Sweet 16 again or beyond. If that were to happen this year... Could you see a scenario where Jim might go, hey, it won't get better than this and I am going to step away? No. Me I either. Don't I don't you, think uh, so either. Yeah. yeah. How you preface the question, I mean, you're spot on. There's, it's, it's, you know, like you get asked it a bunch. Obviously, a lot of people, it's a topic of discussion. I get asked that at restaurants, you know, in Syracuse, you know, especially before the pandemic. Um, you know, you know, oh, you talk to him, when do you think he's going to retire, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, to your point, it's it's going to be something that he does as long as he's healthy um, and able to do it. He's going to do it. So that could mean more than five years from from now. It really could, <laughs> and that's not even an exaggeration. Unbelievable. It's just, oh. and it's, 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 he's given every indication too that he will coach uh, as long as he's healthy. Um, he doesn't want age to play a role, uh, you know, ageism basically, and doesn't want it to play a role in, in, in him bouncing um, or retiring. So, I mean, look, you know, I don't see Jim uh, just retiring 10 minutes away from SU, uh, playing golf and, and not having uh, a ton of care for how the team does, right? I think this is this is him. This is, his, this is who he is. This has been his whole life. And therefore, I think this is just something that he will continue to do long after his sons uh, leave the program. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing how time's flown already, right? Buddy's going into a senior year, right? I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, right. that, I that's already, that. yeah, we're, right. we're already here. Jimmy Beheim's already done with his Cornell time. I mean, it, 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 you know, Jimmy's daughter's close to graduating probably, right, from U of R. I think she's going to be a senior too because she and Buddy are twins. Isn't that right? Um uh, yeah, she's an upperclassman. Yep. Yeah. Upper. So exactly. So it's, I mean, here we are, fast forwarding. I mean, and yet we're still talking about a possibility that this guy could coach fifty years before he's done at Syracuse. I, I, it, it's, I don't see him stepping away at all. I really don't. Even after this year, they could go to a Final Four. Jimmy and Buddy there. They, you know, they have the whole senior day at the dome. And I, Jim, okay, cool. I'm ready for next year. I just. I, I could see it for sure. The final thing, uh, a piece of this, though, that's interesting, and then I'll let you go, is the 1,000-win mark. We know right now he's at, what, 982 with the asterisk. He, he should have, 
I mean, I think the NCAA should give him back the wins considering they've let all the other programs off the hook, especially with the Adidas thing. Um, the 1,000-win thing, if people don't believe he, you know, that he wants that, you're kidding yourself. He, he's got as much of an ego as anybody. He wants those 1,000 wins. That could play into it, too. Do, do you think he gets – he probably gets that number this year, too. That's another That's another layer. Yeah, for sure. So he'll get he'll get the official quote unquote official one thousand uh, this year. I would assume, right? I mean, look, you look at their past two seasons. You know, by by any means, but by, by all means, they've been you know very mediocre in the ACC and, and not kind of what program expectations are. That said, they've won eighteen games each of the last two years, so they're going to get their non conference wins. They're going to get their Cornells and Colgates. And then they're going to go probably 500 in the ACC at worst, right? This season, uh, even if they're having a you know a so-so season again, so they're still going to get those 18 to 20 wins, I'd imagine. Um, and, and they're going to have a, a, a longer schedule, right? This this past year was was obviously shorter, slightly by by COVID had a few cancellations as well. So yeah, I think he'll be right around 1,000 to 1,005. After this season, I think Buddy will have a decision to make whether it's depending on how he does. Of course, if he can shoot forty percent from three, I think he goes to the league or at wow. least, you know tries tries as a second rounder. I do think that's legit. Uh, even a couple NBA scouts had had uh, inquired about him to a couple colleagues, and I was just texting with one who who said he's on the radar uh, for wow. sure for next for next year's draft um as a as a shooter they're obviously a little concerned with the defensive limitations and his athleticism but hey look i mean if you can shoot the ball 40 to 50 percent from three really consistently and, and buddy knows he, he has to improve on that but if he can get there uh you can carve out minutes in that league right <laughs> shooting is um is just is is in such uh, high demand yeah. the last two years, and I think it'll only continue that way. But yes, to your point, I think there's some milestones. Jim wants uh, certainly the thousand. I think he probably wants another Final Four, perhaps another uh, national championship. Uh, obviously, the title, as we've texted before <laughs> with Gonzaga and others, it's yeah. a crapshoot. I yeah. mean, yeah. you can you can be so good and have one off five minute run in the final four and you're out you know it, it really it, it's, it's not the best team necessarily it's the hottest team um and so that's that's a little bit tricky to, to predict but a final four is uh, much more realistic especially to your point i mean the way this team plays you know just sort of floating around 500 every regular season the past six seven years now uh and then just making these surprise runs and, and you, you hit the nail on the head it's it's really it's not that uh, complicated. It's it's the novelty of the zone. They've gotten some really favorable matchups, uh, especially during early round games, um, with with these runs. Notably, you know San Diego State being completely lost against the zone uh, a couple of years ago. Michigan State loses early, so they're you know they've gotten these these nice paths. Um, they've also you know they've done the work though. Uh, the zone has been really good really good and then there's usually that one or two players who just becomes uh, some star we haven't seen for months right whether it's malachi popping out or or obviously buddy yeah they produce their uh, own one guys. shining moment video themselves you know yeah yeah it's um you know it's it's a, it's a, maybe a topic for another day uh mike but we've talked about it it's it's like the fans 
do you want the mediocre regular seasons and then the Sweet 16, the great two weeks? Right. Or would you prefer more consistency in the regular season, but maybe earlier exits in the tournament? It's, you know, obviously you'd like both, right? Good regular season and a deep run, but um, it's just something to consider. And I think fans kind of fall on, on both sides of that spectrum. Uh, but it does seem like fan, fans really enjoy those last, those two weeks almost make up for three months of, of, uh, you know, winning when you think they're going to uh, lose and losing when you think they're going to win sort of deal. Yeah, and, and that's I was going to lay that into the back end of, of this as well. I mean, you think about 2013-14, that team started 25-0. and Ennis hits the buzzer beater at Pittsburgh. It's a crazy time. They're number one. Central New York's losing uh, its mind. And then you go to Buffalo where you have a slight home court advantage. You lose in the second round to Dayton. You know, do, do you want that situation or do you want mediocrity in the ACC, competitive games against Duke here and there, knock them off? Uh, uh, okay, recruiting's a little bit down. Okay, the ISO offense is, here we go again. It's just they don't even run anything. The game's passing Bayheim by. The 2-3 zone's getting lit up seven, eight times a year. Okay, but then you get a 10 seed and you show up in the Sweet 16 Elite Eight Final Four. I mean, come on. I would much rather have the latter every single time, every time. Yeah, that's what most people would say, right? I mean, the, it's it's the tournament that that really matters. It's what it's what people remember. It's the recency. Um, it's, it's the recency bias. It's the it's the it's what you remember. Like you ask how a team did, and people say, "Oh, that was a Sweet 16 team." They don't yeah. necessarily say it was a 500 team that was looking at the NIT until the last two weeks, right? No one really uh, says it that way. So, you know, to their credit, they've they've tacked on. This is Beheim. That was Beheim's twentieth Sweet Sixteen. Um, and going back earlier, I mean, it's an interesting topic. But as he has said, even at the Zoom in the Sweet Sixteen, I believe it was, he refer- He was asked about retirement. He referenced uh, Warren Buffett and said, "You know, Warren's what? I think he's 90, 91. Yeah, yeah I heard that. Um, yeah. yeah. He basically said, if, "If Warren has a sharp mind, he can do it. I don't need to be, you know, athletic. I just have to have a mind." be able to talk was the phrasing he said so hey look if, if someone wants to go uh that coach Bayham might be coaching for 10 to 15 more years i certainly uh would not look at them as if they're crazy because i don't i think that's somewhat reasonable i do too at matthew g-u-t the number 21 the athletic syracuse men's basketball insider and beat man the athletic.com get your subscription today as well make sure you read matthew gutierrez thanks a lot pal appreciate it Mike, always a blast. Thank you so much. Uh, stay warm up there, okay? You're you're uh, you're putting yourself through through those not only Central New York winters but Central New York springs now. Yeah, well, it's 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 there's two seasons. There's two seasons, pal. It's summer for two months and it's winter for ten. So that's where we're at. And the older you get, you lose the circulation. So I just I'm I'm not a good fit in this place anymore, bud. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you, man. The ML Sports Platter, Spotify, Google, Apple, Stitcher, Deezer, anywhere else. Download, subscribe, leave feedback, and a five-star review. Huge thanks to Joey Sindelar and Matthew Gutierrez. I'm Mike Lindsley, the ML Sports Platter. A part of the Brawl Network, get me on Twitter, at MikeLSports. And a big tip of the cap, thank you to the Al and Angus Pub, Sit Mean Sit Syracuse, CNY Electrical, and Ken's Auto Detailing, Route 11 in Cicero. If you're in and around Central New York, the best car details around, inside, outside, wax and wash, you name it, Ken's Auto Detailing, a proud ML Sports Platter sponsor. And a big thank you for the support from the Whitaker and Swan families as well. As I always tell you, enjoy the games.
University of Maryland Global Campus was established to bring a respected state university education to working adults at home and abroad. 70 years ago, we sent professors overseas to educate service members and their families on military installations and on the front lines. Today, we're online because that's where working adults need us. That's where you need us. We'll support your commitment to being a successful student with services that fit your lifestyle. And we offer more than 90 programs and specializations for where you are and where you want to be. University of Maryland University College is now University of Maryland Global Campus. We go the distance because times have changed, but what we're made for hasn't. UMGC offers online support for veterans, including resources at the Veterans Resource Center, no-cost digital materials replacing most textbooks, virtual advising, transfer credits, and lifetime career services. Speak to our dedicated military and veterans advisors who can help you find the right degree for your career path. Visit umgc.edu. Certified to operate in Virginia by Chev. Snow falls on an old apartment. Inside, the holiday season is in swing. On the first floor, Cokes are poured and stories shared among friends. Three flights up, one generation passes down the family recipe to the next. Inside every home, there's magic. Coca-Cola. Real magic. Enjoy the real magic of the season with close friends, family, and refreshing Coca-Cola paired with all your holiday meals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.